Thank you for joining for this episode of the Techspective podcast. Uh, my guest this uh, for this episode is a, uh, a a former guest from way back when, uh, Mr. John Sawyer from IOActive. So, John, if you want to introduce yourself. Hey, Tony. Uh, this is John Sawyer from IOActive. I'm director of services and the red team here. I've been uh, with IOActive for uh, almost four years and uh, in, in the security community for uh, nearly 20. All right. Um, so, you know, you mentioned your director of red team, and I, and I think that's, you know, really, you know, one of the main things, um, you know, I wanted to talk with you about is, you know, I guess the uh, there's a couple of angles I'd like to kind of come at it from. One is the importance of red teaming, blue teaming, purple teaming, however you want to, you know, whatever whatever teaming you want to do. Um, and the other is to sort of understand, you know, are there scenarios or, you know, sit, are there situations where it may be, maybe a company isn't ready for that, isn't right for that. You know, like you have to have a certain maturity level to be able to do something with the results. Um, but let me let me take a, a, a quick step back and just ask you to, for whoever may be listening and doesn't know, let's just go through a quick sort of explanation of what is red team, what is blue team, what is purple team? Sure. So uh, traditionally, the blue team is the defenders. It's the the network analysts, the sysadmins, the help desk. Those those people on the uh, front line are doing the analysts to see what's going on in their network. Um, you know, take care of it, do the hardening, uh, try to prevent uh, security incidents. And and so essentially, our blue team is is uh, you know the the trusted uh, protectors of our networks. Um, the red team is is really uh, brought in to test those security controls, test that team and see if their practices, if their security controls, uh, you know, if those things are working effectively and as designed. Uh, so ultimately, you know, w we come and talk to a client and, you know, start asking, okay, um, you know, what are your biggest fears? What are the threats? You know, what are those concerns that, that keep you up at night that uh, could, could uh, you know cause uh, a resonating uh, resume uh, generating event? You know, RGE. You know, you get that uh, alert or that email or that phone call at 3 a.m. and you suddenly realize, oh no, uh, things are going south, and you know, might need to update your resume and find a new job. Uh, no, uh, really, um, you know, we want to understand the business, uh, you know, the client, and uh, what makes them tick. And then, you know, as we start looking at those threats that are, you know, uh, you know, those threat actors that could be breaking into their environment, we want to start building together a test plan, a, a scenario in a way that will emulate those threat actors activities, uh, while also uh, testing the controls that the, the client has. So, you know, let's say they've got, uh, you know, solid uh, phishing controls in place. They've got uh, great uh, endpoint detection and response uh, tools, you know, EDR uh, tools for taking a look at the host and, and, you know, processes and modifications. And, you know, they have the ability to to look at that and, and start, uh, you know, determining is there a threat in their network and pulling those resources together and figuring out, you know, what does the breach look like? What does an incident look like? 
and then planning back and saying, hey, how can we test those processes and that policy that's in place? You know, we say that we're going to do one thing when a type of incident comes through, like ransomware. But is that something that our, our people actually are following? And so, you know, from the beginning of the red team all the way through the end, you know, we want to go through those activities and test each one. And ultimately, at the end, you know, we'll have gained access, we'll have gained uh, the ability to get those flags or that data that were set as goals at the beginning of the test and realize that maybe exfiltrate it or show that we were able to to gain access from you know an external standpoint uh, gain that initial foothold get the data and then get out with it and then at the end we do the debrief with the blue team to really walk through and say hey this is how we design this attack scenario these are all the different activities these are the dates and times you know let's uh see and sync up where did you see this you know did you have the visibility to detect this and start helping them to understand where they might be having gaps they might have uh you know controls that are not working as they were designed you know or uh they might run into the issue of uh the controls haven't been tuned properly you know if they have a intrusion detection system or a sim that is uh, supposed to be gathering these alerts correlating them and bubbling up alerts maybe there's too many alerts you know and maybe that team is uh you know seeing too much and not able to respond because there's just a deluge of data so you know we we really want to work with the blue team to help them understand you know where they can improve security and, and fill in those gaps so that when an attack does happen they're prepared and ready to deal with it okay um when you so, I, I imagine there's a, a spectrum of of engagement levels or styles or whatever. Um, I was going to ask when you do a, a a red team exercise, does the blue team know it's happening? In other words, you know, if if company A contracts with you to to say, look, I want you to 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 try to get in. I want you to poke holes. I want you to you know see what you can do. Do they also give their internal, you know, defense teams a heads up like, hey, this is going to happen or does that happen like out of the blue? So in most cases, uh, the red team is acting in a adversarial role and it's uh, under the, the guise of stealth. So they do not want to be detected. They, they want to evade those controls that the blue team has. Um, we have clients that, um, you know, they will approach us uh, completely outside via uh, their normal uh, methods of email communications uh, so that any of our email uh, emails that are related to red team activities or meeting invites uh, are not seen on their calendar or in their email because there are uh, there are blue teams uh, and threat hunters out there that have uh, certainly caught in wind of a red team and blown the operation uh, because they saw those emails and calendar invites. So most cases uh, a red team activity is going to be uh, only known to a, a couple of individuals within the organization to help with deconfliction uh, throughout the exercise. Okay. Yeah. yeah now, I, when we start talking about purple team or assumed breach, then we get into more of a collaborative uh, role with the the blue team. Okay. Yeah, I was gonna say when 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 I uh, was still working in the cybersecurity trenches, I didn't I didn't do uh, penetration testing um, uh, per se. Um, but 
one of the uh, one of one of the engagements I was on, uh, it was a situation where the company was going to let their head of IT go, and they were concerned that you know what he might do, uh, mm-hmm. you know what actions he might take, and so they brought us in like under the guise of a um, uh, PCI compliance assessment. But our real mission was to plant ourselves in the network and be, and be prepared to monitor and, and shut down anything that this, this individual might do. And, and it just reminded me of it a little bit because you know the whole thing was entirely secret from the whole company. As far as anyone mm-hmm. at the company was concerned, other than the one person who hired us, uh, we were there to do a PCI assessment. Um, you know, but we were having like, you know, secret, secret meetings on the side to, to confer about, uh, about this, you know, head of it. Um, the other thing that, that struck me is, you know, I, I, I spent time in the air force and, 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 you know, we, we had regular inspections. The problem was you always knew when they were like, it was all, it was, I don't recall it ever being a surprise, you know, like, you know, Mm -hmm. a week or a month before they would say, Hey, you know what? Colonel so-and-so is going to be in town or, you know, the inspector general is coming through and they're going to do this inspection. And it ends up, it's like, that is not a, that's not a genuine inspection. That's not a valid inspection because we changed fundamentally everything we did on Mm -hmm. a day basis. All of a sudden, everything was clean. We were all had the, 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 all, all the right books out where we were, where we were working. Uh, you know, everyone's uniform was pressed. It's like, that's not how we work. Um, and you know, so I was like, well, this is just a bunch of BS. Like, you know, like how we're just checking boxes. Like this doesn't prove anything. Um, and that's why, yeah. as you were talking, I was like, yeah, that's, that's, that would be why I, if I, if I was the company, I would want to hire the red team without the blue team knowing like because i feel like once once you alert the blue team it changes the parameters of the of the of the test absolutely yeah and and we see that uh from the penetration testing perspective all the time you know uh let's say a company gets hired to come in and do a pen test well the admins say oh no we're about to get uh, that inspection, like you were saying, with uh, the Air Force, and suddenly everybody starts going around patching and and you know fixing those issues that they knew were there, but they just you know hadn't made time to take care of. Um, so we see that all all the time, um, and and I mean you bring up a good point just from the Air Force Force perspective. I mean red teams, uh, you know the the history uh, it does date back to. Uh, military side. So the red team, the blue team, a lot of that uh, terminology. Um, does get its basis from the military. And, and the Air Force is one of those groups that was uh, very early on in, in red teaming. They also pioneered threat hunting as well. Yeah. Well, have you ever had a situation where, yeah, okay, so, so you know, you're, you're, you're brought in to do a, a, a red team uh, exercise. The blue team doesn't know you're coming. But while you're actively engaged trying to break in, trying to, you know, find find, you know, systems you can compromise or whatever, a real attack comes in simultaneously. 
Meaning, so the, <laughs> because you know, yes. so the, the blue team is actively trying to defend against against you, you know, and they, and they, they're like, oh, hey, we we see this is going on, we need to do something about that. But then over here, all of a sudden, you've got, uh, you know, I don't know, you know, just you know, some some you know, known uh, entity, you know, coming in trying to to break in, and all all of a sudden, the blue team is trying to fight on two different fronts, but only one of them is actually legitimate. Exactly, and that's that's uh, that's a good point. It goes back to having that uh, one or two trusted insiders on the company who can monitor what's going on. They need to have a role in the blue team where they have oversight into the activities that are going on. So if something like that does come up, they can act as a deconfliction point. They can say, okay, we're getting these attacks from these IPs and hosts. Are they related? to your red team activity and of course on our side we would uh, map those look back to the dates dates and times and confirm yes or no if that was us um, in that case we might stand down uh, we might uh, you know stop the activity um, in other cases we've actually uh, continued to work side by side um, you know while they're they're doing IR because they want to actually have the, the team under fire um, you know working both incidents uh, so a little more high pressure there um, and and there have been situations where we've uh, we've been inside and found compromises. Uh, you know, there was uh, a case where uh, we were doing an assessment. We gained the initial foothold, and while we were there, we started seeing traces of uh, what looked like a meterpreter uh, from Metasploit being spun up and uh, new services and things. And so we started tracking that and uh, talking to the client, saying, "Hey, you know, you guys are not undergoing a, a pen test or anything like that right now." And they're like, "No." Okay, well, you've got these logs, we've got this activity, and we started mapping out through some OSINT and found uh, a couple of VPSs up in Canada that were hosting uh, Armitage, which was like the old uh, Java version of Cobalt Strike uh, before it became a commercial product. And uh, yeah, there was an attacker actually using that, uh, had broken into our client's network um, and was active in there during our red team. So that one we did stand down uh, while they, they uh, triaged. Interesting. Um, you mentioned uh, er earlier, you know, talking about, you know, the overwhelming alerts and, and alert fatigue. And I mean, that's been a, that, that has been an ongoing issue and, and an escalating issue in, in cybersecurity for, I don't know, at least a decade. <laughs> um, you know, and I, you know, I feel like, you know, if you go back far enough, you had all these you know, point solutions and then someone came along and said, well, what if we had a SIM and, and it just aggregated everything? And someone said, well, that's cool. That way I can just look at one thing, um, which sounded good on paper. But now you've got one thing that's generating, you know, 5000 alerts an hour. And, you know, and uh, as, as you uh, uh, alluded to in reference to the, the the red teaming or whatever, but, you know, part of part of that is does come down to tuning and trying to figure you know trying trying to basically teach the system um you know what you know contextually uh what what matters and what doesn't um and tools have improved i mean most most companies still have a, a sim of some sort um but you know i think the tools have have evolved some but we still face the same problem uh, there, there's still you know, an overwhelming number of alerts. There's, you know, too many, you know, f false uh, positives and, and, and IT teams, you know, chasing ghosts. So what about red teaming or purple teaming 
Um, what about engaging in that activity helps an organization deal with that overwhelming uh, alert fatigue? Or is it purely a, a function of at least pointing it out? You know, like like basically, you know, by the time you're done, you could say, well, you know, you guys have all these alerts. You know, we can go now we can go through and look at them and, and say, OK, well, you know, let, let's tune this better because you didn't you didn't need to see any of these alerts. Right. And and that's where purple teaming comes into play, because, you know, with the red team side, uh, you know, our goal really is to evade the detections and try to avoid uh, being caught by the blue team. Um, when we get into the purple team side, um, there's a lot more planning that goes into that. We bring in uh, more threat intelligence and we work. Uh, the purple team is essentially a virtual team made up of red and blue team members. And uh, together they decide, okay, what is this attack scenario? You know, what is our uh, you know biggest concern? You know, are we concerned about someone gaining initial access through phishing? Um, you know, are we concerned about them getting code execution on certain systems within the environment? Uh, or is there data, uh, you know, that that we're specifically concerned around? Um, and then crafting an attack scenario that steps through each phase of that. Um, architecting each piece. And then when the two teams come together, the red team will share, share their screen and walk through that attack. As they go through each step of it, they'll say, okay, we just ran X, Y, or Z. Were you able to detect that through, let's say, you know, the EDR that's running on the system? You know, did it detect the new process? Um, you know, did that process call out somewhere? You know, and then uh, you know, the, the, the point is really that they're they're trying to fine tune that behavior and ensure that they can uh, detect it, prevent it, or at least log it so they can come back and have a forensic trail. Okay, so it is it, it is helpful for basically being able to kind of like tune those alerts and, and, and figure out, you know, really what what did you need to see and what did you not need to see? Right. You want to you want them high fidelity alerts. Um, so when I was working at the university back before red teaming and, and threat hunting were were you know these, these exciting buzzwords, um, you know, 15 years ago, uh, we we were doing threat hunting and we were tuning everything uh, without knowing what these things were fighting. You know, there wasn't the miter attack uh, framework back then to lay out what the common uh, TTPs or tactics, techniques, and procedures are that attackers are using. So, you know, we were we were fighting uh, malware, zero-day malware that's coming in, you know, on all fronts from faculty, staff, uh, students clicking on pretty much everything. So, yes, making sure that you're tuning those alerts is critical because we were we were getting a deluge of alerts that just became overwhelming at 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 uh, one point. And we really needed to figure out how can we be more effective? You know, what what are the alerts that matter? You know, so it's it's going through that rule set and saying, OK, you know, these things uh, can certainly indicate that there's a compromise. So we might want to put those in a different category. These are things that, you know, are suspicious, but, uh, you know, uh, they, they might be paired with something else to kind of pull together the incident and and you know, help you confirm that it's there. And then there's all those other kind of informational alerts that are just like, okay, someone did that, but it's it's not really an issue. And so we went through and it, it took a lot of, I would say it took a lot of tuning uh, in the beginning, but 
Um, you know, once we got that rule set tuned in and then started customizing it, um, it made our lives easier. And I think really uh, a lot of that came down to really understanding our environment and what our capabilities were and then just learning more and more. You know, we built a lab with virtual machines and bare bone metal so that we could run malware in there and see what it was doing. You know, at the time we had McAfee Enterprise and it was not catching um, a lot of the malware that was coming through. So we're writing new snort rules, we're writing uh, detections for NetFlow and uh, other behaviors on the network so that we can start catching this zero day malware because we weren't getting antivirus updates from the vendors quickly enough uh, to combat what we were fighting. So, um, you know, I, I, it certainly was an issue with alert fatigue at the time, but, um, you know, I think, uh, you know, working with uh, both sides really helped us uh, pare down the rule sets to those that matter. Okay. Um, so one of the things I, I had mentioned early on is, you know, another another question that I have for you is when when a company, you know, comes to you and says, hey, you know, we, we'd like to engage you guys to do a, a, a red team exercise or we want to do a purple team exercise, whatever. Is there is there an assessment that 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 is done from your perspective or or at least asking the questions of okay but you know what are you going to do with the information and and like are, are you know is is your IT and your IT security team mature enough to actually get value from this exercise so um, I, I wouldn't say there's an assessment I mean certainly I would say there's kind of a qualification you know uh, someone comes and says they want a red team well do you have a blue team you know, do you actually have uh, defensive controls? Do you have someone there monitoring? You know, what is it that your your goal of this test? You know, are you looking to make your security program better? Are you looking to get staffing to be able to uh, detect and, and prevent these things? Um, are you checking a box? Um, th those are some, some of those questions. And then also, you know, what are what are the flags? You know, once. Uh, let's say, uh, compromise the internal PCI data we're going for, or is there, uh, you know, health information? What are those crown jewels that, that we would be going for? And, uh, you know, we might talk about some of the security controls, but that varies based on the client. Some of them want to keep it as black box as possible uh, without giving us any information other than this is who we are, um, come and get us. And here's a couple of uh, types of data we want you to get. And others, uh, you know, will give us uh, maybe specific targets to go out after. You know, maybe they have a user population that they're more concerned about. You know, maybe it's a little high risk because that user group is required to, you know, go to particular websites or open attachments or something about their their activities makes them more higher risk to compromise. Well, and I can see for for a you know maybe for a smaller or less mature organization. Um, you know, in some cases, it may simply be checking a box. It might just be like, you know, we want to do this so we can say we did. But I can also see basically using you know, like I could see being in the position of of calling you up and saying, I want you to do this red team exercise. I know up front that I don't really have the blue team. I know up front that I don't really have the resources to effectively do something. Really, what I want is I want 
the red team exercise as the validation that I need to take up the chain so I can get the blue team. Uh, that's perfect. I mean, that that right there gives us an opportunity to work with them, uh, create this uh, attack emulation, work through the exercise, and then tell that story. And I think it's really important to be able to you know, step back and tell them that story. You know, this is how we as an attacker or an adversary as the red team came at you. We looked at your organization. We assessed it. Uh, we looked at your most uh, likely avenues or attack vectors that threats would go after. Uh, we then uh, planned out an attack. We executed it. This is how we, uh, you know, fist your users. This is how we gained initial access. Um, we then uh, es escalated privileges, pivoted internally, and, uh, you know, gained access to C-level suites, laptops, email, uh, pre-release financials, things like that. You know, being able to, to uh, then take that, put it into a report, and walk through each piece of that, telling that story, is what's going to, to get that support and that budget. Because when, when you take an attack narrative and you can, uh, you know, uh, effectively say how you identified um, those individuals, how you targeted, how that attack was then uh, crafted and then carried out, and then the you know data was exfiltrated, uh, all with accompanying screenshots and uh, you know uh, snippets of code and things. That that tells a, a powerful powerful story uh, that gets support. Okay. Um I'm curious, you know, we're, we're uh, roughly at the year and a half mark since, uh, you know, the, the, the pandemic kicked in and the world went into lockdown. Like, how has how has COVID affected your ability to do pen testing or the way you do them? I mean, I know that in, in the past, you know, you and I you and I talked about, uh, you know, some of the depending on the scope of the of the of the engagement, you know, it might involve trying to like socially engineer your way in physically trying to, you know, you know, you know, be physically there in the building, trying to do things. And, and, uh, I imagine that was harder to do in the last year and a half. Yes, absolutely. I would say, uh, almost all physical assessments, uh, were, were canceled, um, as offices were closed. I mean, it certainly was an interesting, uh, uh, avenue of attack if you wanted to, to still pursue that, you know, because now suddenly the offices are not manned, uh, less personnel, less uh, security staff probably. Um, so a, a breach of physical security could have meant, uh, you know, a, a bigger impact in the last year and a half than it would have two or three years ago. Uh, but at the same time, you're seeing the blue teams having to step up. You know, IT uh, has been under a huge amount of pressure in the last uh, year and a half year just trying to uh, mobilize this force that's suddenly working from home and, and that that poses a lot of problems for them but it also from the red team side you know it certainly makes it a little fuzzier now you know if we're now targeting uh, individuals inside a company uh, they may not be sitting at a desk anymore you know if we get them to click on a link they may be coming from their house or Starbucks or or wherever we don't know uh, so we have to be a little more careful. You know, we we do not want to compromise personal machines. You know, so we are, right. um, you know, certainly taking into 
aspect, uh, you know, what kind of problems does this pose to us, um, you know, and once we do land on that device, uh, will that device have a VPN connection back into the environment, you know, what level of the access does it have? Um, and uh, in addition, you know, all the remote technologies that are being deployed, that certainly opens up another uh, attack surface for us. Well, I hadn't thought of that, and that but that is an interesting sort of ethical moral dilemma of even even before covid you have people who you know the 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 number of people who work remotely at least part of the time maybe dial in from home or maybe working from a, a you know hotel lobby or or a coffee shop that number was already growing um and and so and, and a lot of people do use personal computers, you know, for, for work, especially now in, in COVID. So it, it, it is interesting, especially if you're doing a red team exercise where like nobody in the company even knows that you're coming. Um, but you know, Bob is sitting in his living room at home using his personal computer to access company, uh, stuff. And it's like, well, you know, yeah, it's like, what, what are the sort of legalities of you hitting that machine? So, so there's a there's a couple of uh, uh, gotchas there, and I, I would say from the red team side, we really have to be careful in how we architect the the malware or the code that we want executed on that host. You know, let's say uh, we're sending a phishing attack with uh, an email attachment that will execute some PowerShell or something on the the computer. Um, when that user opens it, uh, we might have a couple of different checks in place. Uh, one might look at the local domain of the computer. You know, if that computer is in a work group, it will not execute. If it's on a domain that matches what we know is the internal corporate AD domain, then it will execute. Um, other options are, um, you know, the types of Windows. Um, if we know that they're using Windows 10 professional internally, uh, but we see Windows seven home or something else like that, uh, we won't execute. So there's a couple of different uh, ways that you can prevent that. Others are uh, egress or ingress filters on your C2 servers to make sure that uh, phone, phoning home from those compromised machines are only coming from known client IPs. Um, you know, so, uh, you know, if you know that they're coming from their corporate network because they're VPN then and you know those, uh, those endpoints that they're exiting from, you can uh, put firewall rules in to only allow that traffic. So there's a couple of different protections we can put in there to, to prevent accidentally compromising the wrong machine. Okay. Um, yeah, I, 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 before, right before you started talking about the, you know, the, uh, with the buildings being empty, that actually, is potentially a, a, a different reason to want to do the physical. <laughs> uh, I, I agree. Yep. <laughs> uh, it's like, it, it, you know, it, it might be way easier for you to get in and, and you'd have, you know, basically un, unfiltered access once you did it. Uh, ideally, um, you know, there, there's still the liability issue, of course, you know, sending site uh, during COVID and, and what happens if they uh, were to get sick. So, you know, uh, to, to avoid that, um, you know, I, we've just not done that type of work uh, for several months. Um, but in thinking about, you know, the, the office is being 
uh, empty and someone plugging in, I mean, there's still compensating controls that that can take care of that. I mean, we were we were doing a red team a couple years ago where it was a financial firm who had uh, horrible physical security. Uh, we came in and demonstrated uh, at least a half dozen different door bypasses uh, to get into their office space uh, between getting past the doors with the automatic rec sensors to um, to just popping the lock with a Slim Jim. Uh, and then once we were in, we had full access to plug into pretty much anything. Even network closets we could uh, shim open really easily and no alarms would sound. But what was unique about this company is they baselined everything on the network. So as soon as you plugged in something that uh, was not one of their hosts that had been baselined, they immediately got a, an alert. You know, it was uh, beyond just simple Mac filtering that you'll see on, on some ports. You know, this was full on, you know, this is a host without a known network profile. It's communicating to hosts or ports or things that we haven't seen before, red flag. And that was actually incredibly effective. And you know, it, it also occurs to me that, uh, you know, one of the things that I, I talk about frequently is the basic behavioral profiling of saying, you know, I know Tony Bradley lives outside of Houston. He, you know, generally logs in between eight and five central time, you know, I, I you know, those types of things and, and establishing that and then and then saying, you know, I know Tony just logged off, you know, Tony, Tony was literally active from Houston two hours ago, and now I'm getting a login request from Singapore. That's probably not valid, you know, and so you can, you can look at those types of, of activities and behaviors and, and use those as red flags. And what's funny is in the last year and a half, you can kind of reverse that and say, okay, it makes sense that Tony might be logging in from who, who knows where, but if I see Tony logging in from the office building, that's a red flag. Yeah, yeah, actually, that that is uh, an interesting one. Um, I hadn't thought about that. Yeah, it's it's kind of like picking out the outliers, you know, when you're uh, when you when you're changing your alerts and you start realizing, you know, you get all these certain ones, but now you know seem seem odd. Those outliers sometimes are those individuals or those machines that are infected. Yep. All right. Um, all right. Well, you know, is there, is there anything else that you want to talk about? Any, any, any question I didn't ask that you think we should cover? Um, you know, I think we, I think we've had a pretty good conversation about this. No, I think we did, did well, covered a lot of stuff. Um, you know, I, I think, um, you know, we, we're certainly seeing a lot more interest in uh, red and purple team, uh, just from the perspective of companies are, are getting hit with more and more ransomware attacks and things that are, bypassing their traditional uh, AV, EDR, and other security controls. Um, so we're just working, I, you know, I, I'm seeing a lot more effort to understand what that attacker behavior is from the blue team side, uh, which is great because it, it gives us an opportunity to work and educate uh, them on what attacker methods are, what are those behaviors, what are those things that they should be looking for, and get them to start thinking outside of the box. And, and I love the collaborative aspect of uh, Purple Team just because um, it really does give us the ability to uh, get shoulder to shoulder into the trenches and you know make meaningful changes. You know, it's it's like you were saying before. You know, when we give someone a report, what are they going to do with it? You know, are they mature enough? Well, from the Purple Team side, we see that we we are we are watching. 
uh, changes being made while we're there on site for the better, which is great. Um. All right. Well, yeah, you actually uh, did, did spark one, one more question for me, which is, you know, when you look at like, you know, you mentioned ransomware and when you look at like the colonial pipeline attack by Darkseid, uh, reports now say that, you know, basically that was, a, uh, you know, the, the, the doorway in was a, a, a defunct VPN account that, you know, nobody was paying attention to or, or something along those lines. And, and, you know, I'm curious you know, how often do you encounter situations where, you know, the blue team ostensibly is doing the right things? They have the right tools. They're monitoring. They're, you know, they're all all their security controls are effective. But what what the real Achilles heel is, and and the, and the value you bring is helping them to find that legacy VPN account that they forgot about from five years ago. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I, I love that kind of stuff. Uh, just two months ago. Uh, I met a couple buddies on site uh, here in Florida to give them a modem, uh, which was, you know, shocking. When's the last time you held an external physical modem in your hand? Um, you know, and these guys were about to break into an ICS device that was plugged in and should not have been. Uh, so, you know, there's certainly uh, those those teams that they're doing the right thing, um, but some things just don't get caught, and that's where, you know, having internal vulnerability. Uh, uh, management and a red team really helps um, or, you know, engaging with a third party. So you have that, that other, that second set of eyes, the other aspect um, really helps. Right. And, and it's, it, it's a little bit like, you know, just, you know, I, I, I write, you know, and, and generally speaking, it doesn't, you know, need a lot of editing, not to be cocky, but you know, <laughs> just how it is. But the thing is, it's hard for me to edit my own stuff because my brain and I see if that information there where that attacker right. activity is there. Right. Well, it, re it reads what I wanted to write, not what's actually there. Um, and I feel like for an IT security team, you end up with that same sort of uh, myopic view of your own network where it's like you you're you're, you're not seeing what you're not seeing because it's just not it, it doesn't occur to you. And you need the external set of eyes. You need a red team that's thinking like an attacker to kind of go outside of your your scope of thinking and find things that just don't occur to you. Yeah. Yeah, when you when you, you're sitting in the room uh during a purple team, you can watch the light bulbs go on. It is it is wonderful to watch the realizations as uh you have an analyst or a red teamer sitting side by side and they realize, "Ah, oh, that's what that alert meant or that's what that control would do or you know that's what they meant by if we were to get code execution and you know pull data and pull that credential now now i understand now i can see you know how these things all fit together that is fantastic um and and truly i think one of the better parts um of the purple team aspect very good all right. Well, thank you very much uh, for for joining me again. Um, you know, uh, look forward to you know seeing you in person again. Uh, you know, I'm not going to be at Black Hat, but you know, maybe RSA next year or whatever. But um, and uh, yeah, we can do this again sometime. We don't need to wait three years. All right. That sounds great, Tony. It was good talking with you. All right. Talk to you later. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate you investing your time to listen to the podcast but I also invite you to engage on social media. Uh, please go like our Facebook page and follow at 
techspective on Twitter and Instagram. You can feel free to let me know what you like, let me know what you don't like, let me know if you love it, let me know if it sucks, and uh, let me know what products you'd like to see reviewed or what uh, questions you'd like to see answered in future posts.